So I've always felt that I was pretty chaotic when it came to bookmarks. How okay. do you feel about that? Like about you have strong you... feelings, right? I I feel like I can use anything as a bookmark, honestly. I just don't like when books are just left open. <laughs> I feel yes. like that needlessly damages the book. But, you know, you could use a napkin. You can use a check. You can use mail. Right. And I have done all of those things. I, of all the things, I don't like dog-earing pages or, you know, flipping the corners down. That bugs me. Yeah, only is, a really old weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I saw one the other day that I had never seen before that I thought was was pretty out there. Um, it was somebody was carrying around a book and sticking out of the middle of it was one of those black plastic coffee stirrers. Oh my gosh. I've never seen that before. Obviously that not be reliable. I'm pretty sure they haven't used it to stir their coffee. So there's that. Right. But but I was like, oh, wow, that, yeah, that's a new one on me. Yikes. <laughs> I thought I had done it all, but obviously not. <laughs> now that's making me try to think of like, what is the craziest thing that I've ever used as a bookmark? Can you think of like some crazy things that you have done? I mean, you said mostly everything, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure one time it was, well, I know. I've used food wrappers before, um, which is a bad idea, but I'm pretty sure at least once it was like a, a tea bag, like, you know, again, like a tea bag in the, in, in the container, which okay, I don't know why, good. because I don't drink tea. I it, Maybe it slipped into the book because it was in a bag with the tea bags. I just have this recollection of it, but. Not used, but is good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely food wrappers, which is just you know at that point it's not worth it to to mark your place just just like don't do it <laughs> just don't finish the book or guess no right. i always i will corner my pages but not in a new book and mm -hmm. most of the time i feel like i use like i'm never using bookmarks i'm hardly ever right. using something that should be used to mark the page i feel like it's usually like a slip of paper oftentimes it's a receipt i think for when i bought yeah. the book and i just slipped it in which i think is what most people do or if it's a hardcover with a with a dust jacket you'll use the you know the inner what do they call it flaps. fly leaves yeah, yeah fly leaves um but yeah i always talk about tabby just she she'll either leave the book open which i can't stand or she'll close it without marking it and say i'll remember where i am which i just do not believe i just i cannot <laughs> fathom how you could especially when you're reading something that's like beyond 500 pages like you could ever remember your spot but maybe that's just me and i've tried to do that especially if i don't have a marker i'm trying to do that right now like i have a book that's 700 pages it's on my bedside table I didn't have a bookmark with me when I finished it. I think I was on a plane or when I last read it. And now I'm, I've been afraid to go back into the book because I don't want to find where I left off, especially when it's 700 pages. If it's right. 200 pages. Because yeah, when you get, if you get yeah. one that fat, even if you do have fly leaves, like you can't, yeah, you cannot work. meet in the middle. There's this no man's land. And you don't want to reread anything if it's that big. Every page ca progress counts. Right. <laughs> It's anyway. a problem.
So I guess you'll just have to not finish it. I'll just throw it away. That's the solution. <laughs> well, welcome to Don't Drink the Tea. It's the Agatha Christie but pop. Whoa. Is that... Let's try that one again. Doop, doop, that, doop, doop. that was really bad. Welcome to Don't Drink the Tea. It's the Agatha Christie podcast where we analyze our books one by one and we always use bookmarks. I'm Josh. And I'm Charlotte. And today we did a wild switcheroo. We flip flopped around. Our next book chronologically after the labors of Hercules was supposed to be Taken at the Flood, which I talked about, I think, in our last episode. But we were doing Crooked House for our favorite book club in the world, Guilty Not Guilty Book Club at Wordplay. And we figured since it'll be fresh in our minds, we might as well be doing Crooked House, which we read for the book club, rather than wait a book or two and then completely forget everything about it. Not that this is a yeah. forgettable book, but it's always good to do it with fresh on your mind. Yeah, and there's usually a little bit of wiggle room, like on yes. the lists of publication dates, UK versus US releases, blah, blah, blah. So Yes. I don't think we've destroyed our reputation. Hopefully <laughs> not. Yeah, Taken at the Flood is 48, which also includes Rose and the Yew Tree, which we will be covering. I'm excited about that because I've never read it. And Witness for the Prosecution, which we haven't settled how we're going to cover that yet, since that is, you know, a short story and a play, but it's also part of a collection. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do that yet, but then we come across to Crooked House ending the 40s. We've gotten through three decades of Christie now. Oh, my goodness. The last one in the 40s. She's been writing for three decades, and we've been covering her for what feels like three decades. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe we've gotten this far. Like, after after we get caught up with the other two, we'll be in the 1950s. Wow. Crazy. That is hard to believe. And crazy how good... The 30s and the 40s have been hit after hit after hit. Yeah. She's fire. How do you write this much and them not feel like carbon copies or just phoning it in every now and then? Like, I know there's been some that we haven't liked that much in this decade, but when I'm looking back at everything, I always do this, but I'm going to read it. We started with Sad Cypress. Great. One, two, buckle my shoe. Pretty good. Evil Under the Sun. Great. NRM. We loved it. Body in the Library. We loved it. Five Little Pigs. We loved it. Moving Finger. We loved it. Towards Zero. We loved it. Death Comes as the End. We loved it. Absent in the Spring. We loved it. Sparkling Cyanide. We liked it. The Hollow. We disagreed, but one of us loved it. Uh, Labors of Hercules. <laughs> we liked it. And now Crooked House. Not a bad one in yeah. the batch. That, yeah, that could be someone's entire yeah. writing career. And some people, you know, would wish for that to be their entire writing career. And here you have it as just, what, a, a fifth, a fourth mm -hmm. of her body of work? It's just hard exactly. to believe. I like when I always hear John Curran in interviews say if she had just wrote every, if she had just written The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, she, we still would be talking about her today, which I feel like is true, but... I feel like if you take any decade or Orient Express, yeah, any of those like, and then there were none, any of those top notch. But I feel like if you take any decade of Christie, any decade besides like the 70s, which she only wrote 
for the first half, and that was at the end. If you take any decade of Christie's, she would be guaranteed to have a legacy. And the farther you go back, the stronger that is. But she just wrote so much mm-hmm. more than anybody else could. I mean, I, I feel like she spoiled me for other writers because I'll say, when are they going to write another book? When they like yeah. just did two years ago. And obviously it takes time to write a book, but. Right. And that is unusual. I mean, like just from, you know, what we, uh, what we see working in a bookstore and seeing new releases and authors who are very prolific and then some that you like wow you you like you said you found something that you loved and you're like oh I want more of this and yeah that you (laughs) they might write another book they might not they might write two and that's the end yeah Mm. very different and of course she you know she was she was writing as a career but it wasn't like she was doing it because she had to make her living at it yeah you know she she did it because she wanted to and and because she could yeah and when we had like at the beginning of a podcast we had those several where it felt like and she even said I wrote this just to fill my quota but you know ever since she's become a name after after the end of the 20s nothing has felt like that like even the ones that I feel like I haven't loved there was still something that brings me back to that book and something of worth. And it's just amazing that like, how do you write this many gems and this book? And that I was going to say that leads really well into this book in particular, because she, uh, this was her personal favorite, right? Yes. She would often give a list and Christy was very inconsistent with pretty much any time she was asked any question about her, self personally but usually if you average out everything she says you get down to this list and i want to i, I we've covered the majority of them um i want to read that list of Let me course get, you do of course i do why, why wouldn't i want to read somebody else's list like the only thing that frustrates me is that she didn't rank her entire uh body of work so she and I got to yeah, say, even, even Christy was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, impeccable taste when I'm reading this. So her favorites were, uh, and then there were none, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, a mur- Murder on the Orient Express, The 13 Problems. That's just the one that surprises me, but she only picked one collection of short stories. Toward Zero, uh, The Moving Finger, Crooked House. And then the ones we haven't covered are Ordeal by Innocence, A Murderous Announced, and Endless Night. Um, and she would give this list, but whenever she was asked to pin it down, she would she tiptoed between uh, Crooked House and Ordeal by Innocence, which Ordeal by Innocence is like 10 years ahead of us um, in the canon and also probably time-wise, considering the speed we record. Uh, <laughs> but this is one that usually you can bet that she and the reason she gave she just gave like really simple sentences for each of these and uh she said i found a study of a certain family interesting to explore that's all she said and Mm -hmm. like at the time she made this list she said endless night was her own favorite at present but she had just she had just written it but with all of these she wrote like one sentence she wasn't 
going over and flattering herself. But this one she mentioned on multiple occasions. And I can't really argue with it. Like, it's not one that surprises me. And it's not one that I take any issue with. And she had a little, the uh, the addition that I have had like a little author's forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and she called it one of my own favorites. I saved it up for years, thinking about it working it out, saying to myself one day when I have plenty of time and want to really enjoy myself, I'll begin it. I love I love when she does a forward and <laughs> guarantees you're in for a good time. Um, and that's a great forward to know that this was like a pet project. Um, mm-hmm. And this book is, you know, people, when they say something is Christie-esque, it is like this book which is funny because she didn't really do this kind of thing that often. But this book is a prime example of what people think of as Christie-esque. It's a, an English house. It's a family. It's a dysfunctional family. And it has a uh, unforgettable, trademark, infamous twist. It's like this is the primary example of something that would be Christie-esque. Yeah. And... uh this book so i guess we can get a little bit into the plot to start with um and then we can talk about our thoughts and how we discovered it um so it's about this uh the young man who is he's interested in this woman named uh is it sophie or sophia i think uh, it's sophia yeah and that he wants to get married to her and she says not yet because there's an issue with her family her granddad died and they believe it was murder and they don't know who did it and while that is still hanging around she can't marry him while that issue is still there and so he is the son of an officer of an investigator like a police commissioner or something like that and so that gives him like an in where he can come in with the force who is investigating. And his primary motive at first is let's get this solved so I can marry Sophia. But he gets slowly pulled into the case that is much more complicated than it seemed to be. Um, so did this isn't the first time you've read this book, I assume. Did you read it way back when you were like first discovering Christie's? I think it, it I don't it wasn't one of the first ones that I read. Um I think I read quite a few when I got to this one. So yeah, this is I I think the second time hmm. that I read this one. Um but of course there was a lot about it that I didn't remember. Yeah. I remember yeah. the end and then doubted myself <laughs> like halfway through. Like was this really in the way that I thought it did which it it did, but I had forgotten all of the supporting characters mm-hmm. i've forgotten the main characters to be honest so it felt like reading it for the first time you know the only thing that i knew was was the ending right yeah i and i remember i can't remember exactly but i distinctly remembered like where i was when i was reading it i remember being on the couch i remember a football game was on that i was not watching and <laughs> I remember reading this book and turning the pages and be like, oh, no, she didn't. Uh, yeah. And I remember my edition that I had and it's like burned into my memory. Um, so cool. the, 
the family, it's one of her finest dysfunctional families, if not the finest. It is, yeah, because she did similar things through some books we've already covered and some we'll cover in the future. But this one did not feel like it had any tropes i mean mean, it that it had any cliches excuse me Mm -hmm. there's a difference between those two things but it didn't feel cliched or um like you know token characters what (laughs) sorry i don't mean to laugh i i just like gasped but i guess you missed it because i was for some reason twirling my water bottle and it shot out of my hands and almost went off the desk and I caught it at the last second but it made me laugh because I like gasped because if I had poured it all over my laptop I don't know what would have happened to this episode oh my anyway I agree with you so briefly saved <laughs> yes. um yeah the two it reminded me of the most and like you said maybe there's more I can't remember that come after this and uh, there definitely are but to one that we covered really recently, which was Death Comes as the End. It has a very similar family structure and also Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Yeah. Which both have very strong families. Um, And while I have a personal preference for Death Comes as the End, because I'm, I'm still like obsessed with that book ever since we read it, I feel like this one has the most vivid, real family that you come away with, like familiar with every member of it. And I mean, because then death comes as the end, they you're familiar with them, but it's because they're all dying one by one. But in this book, you you are just there with them because it's a more uh, traditional mystery. And in Hercule Poirot's Christmas, I, I had a little trouble keeping track of like, you know, it's this son and this wife and this son and this wife trying to remember who was who. But in yeah. this book, everyone was very, very vivid. And it wasn't quite, and maybe it is, it didn't feel like it was quite as big of a cast as it usually is. Because because sometimes she will have one or two sideline characters that really would have been unnecessary in the long run, you know, spares. But it didn't feel like that with this one. Because you have the, um, you have the, the wife, the widow... So there's the the grandfather, the old man who's died, his much younger wife, uh, the the two grandchildren, a boy and a girl, their their teacher, their tutor, and then he had, and then the 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 grandfather had two grown sons, and their right. wives. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, maybe that is like it, it's probably the exact same number. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but it didn't feel quite as, as big. And I think that's because you get to spend time with every one of those people, every, every one of those individuals. Um, yeah. So it's the patriarch of the family, Aristide Leonides, who he's a businessman. Um, and he has this family in this big house um and like you said two sons who he doesn't really trust to take over his his businesses which is like a catering business Mm -hmm. and uh, he doesn't really trust them to take over but they still live with him and they're dependent on him uh financially um no the one son took it over 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I can't remember which one. Not Philip, the other one. Yeah, he did. It felt like he he didn't trust them to actually do it. Um, he didn't really trust them to look after the family, I guess. Um, he didn't expect anybody to be mature enough, really. Uh, we'll get into that with the themes of the books uh, soon. But it, it felt a little bit like everybody was in, and this is similar to those last two books, Arrested Development, where they are dependent on him and because of that have never got a chance to really become their own people and be independent of him. And he kind of resents a little bit that they have to rely on him, but at the same time, it's clear that he wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. So he's in his eighties, I believe. So there was an initial temptation that it might've been natural causes, but then they, I can't remember exactly how they determined that it absolutely definitely was not. Um, yeah. Cause that he, he uh, was poisoned in a very unique way. Um, but the, right. the main difference I feel like with him, first of all, you never ever meet him in the pages of the book. If I remember incorrectly, right. That's correct. uh, which is very interesting. And that I think makes it, makes you want more to know more about him and the fact that you never get like a scene with him or a flashback or anything. Um, but he is a very likable character from hearing other people talk about him. Like, cause like in Hercule Poirot's Christmas, the, the um, patriarch was very definitely Machiavellian, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the villain of the piece and this guy was was pretty benevolent and like that's another thing that you find slowly revealed through talking with each member of his family there really was no motive yeah that's what everybody has the struggles with and frustrates the like the protagonist so much is that everybody had opportunity mm -hmm. um but, but no one had a motive yeah yeah because they don't like hate him like you say when with the other you you slowly see that he was very likable he was uh he did things unconventionally like every the whole point with the the nursery rhyme this is another one of christie's nursery rhymes but it's not quite an in-your-face one the plot doesn't hinge on the fact that it has a nursery rhyme structure but uh it's a crooked man in the crooked house. So he did things a little sometimes unethically when it came to his business dealings. And, mm -hmm. but he wasn't like a bad guy. He wasn't an evil guy. And there was really no dislike for him. Yeah. And the, the emphasis on, or the, the imagery of crooked had a lot to do with like, you know, there was a, a crookedness to all of them emotionally mm -hmm. i guess not necessarily mentally and also that they didn't conform to social norms i guess is the good way to to put it because sophia says that a lot when she's explaining things to her fiance is like well we're not a typical family well we don't do things the way other people do them like she is constantly bringing that up and i feel like that was another um meaning of that uh title yeah definitely so uh, Sophia is the main person that we keep talking to since he has interest. She is the one that it seemed like the, the grandfather connected to the most 
he trusted her to look after the family. Um, we had her dad is Philip, and he writes books that it seems like not a whole lot of people read. And he's always kind of like shut up. Very in intellectual. Yeah. yeah. Intellectual and it seems like emotionally distant. Like no issues with people, no real issues with his dad, but like uh, not the type of person who is going to continue the family legacy. He's in his own world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, the other son is Roger. Right. That was his name. I think so, because I couldn't remember it. And all I could think of was like Bob. But I think think it's Roger. And he's Roger. You're right. Yeah. Who was supposed to take over. Uh, or took over the the actual work, but uh, things went south because he uh, wasn't quite as good as his dad at running things. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so you have those two sons and their wives. Um, so Philip's wife is Sophia's mother, and she's like a... a- I don't know if second rate is the right, but not a well-known or very talented stage actress. Yeah. Um, And she's, yeah, she's kind of always playing a part, always Mm -hmm. looking for a way to make an entrance or to set up a scene around her. And also like her husband, very self-centered, but in a different way. Yeah. Always in her own world, like very little interest in, what's going on in the house or even in her own with her own daughters mm-hmm. and then roger's wife is um very down to earth very direct no frills like they talk about her and and she does this a lot which i don't feel like it ever came through quite as strongly in any of our other books the way she describes the house mm-hmm. like without without being boring it's just she describes the um oh the the narrator whose name i've forgotten charles t- uh thank you he talks about him going into the different sections of the house like the different rooms like okay there's a there's a wing of the house that was for um you know old mr leonidas and there was a a wing of the house that was phillips and then and him going into each one of these rooms and it's so jarring to him mm-hmm. how different one house can be with all these this menagerie of people in it and she does a really good job with that i mean she always location and setting is always very important in all of her books but i don't think i felt the presence of a house so much as i did in this one definitely and i loved being able to see their personalities extended into their like like hers was everything was really minimalist and it was cool to see that in a book where I think it, that wasn't such a popular idea yet. And mm-hmm. Christy kind of poking fun at that. Where, whereas, uh, in, you know, you have the library representing Philip and uh, the very dramatic rooms with Magda. And it's like everybody in the, they all have their own part of this house that is this, if it's their own house and they shut off the rest of the house in doing that so it's not one unit that lives in this house it's like they all live together they all uh are dependent on the the fortune but they're each living their separate life that has nothing to do with anybody else 
Right. Oh, and another a room that's very unique is uh is the widow, the very yeah. young widow. Um Brenda. That yeah, that it's that her room is another thing that's that's very separate and shows the divide between her and the rest of the family as well. Right. And she is the the number one suspect uh, because right. he married a much younger woman. She's actually the one. So it was through his insulin uh, that this that he died. But they found out that he took it was eye drops, and um, that is what killed him. And that's actually commonly with Christie. That's a very uh, accurate way that a lot of people were killed because that unlike something as time went on where you're not going to have something like arsenic or, or something lying around the house. It's a very deadly thing that a lot of people did have lying around the house was this eye medicine or eye drops. And so since the fact that, you know, she is the widow, it's assumed that she's going to get a lot of the money and she is actually the one that administered the poison. She's the number one suspect and everybody wants it to be her. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're like, yeah. I think doesn't even someone say that at some point, like if the right person. That's what Sophia him. says. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of rubs Charles the wrong way is I really like how he gets to meet her and instantly he feels for her instantly. He sees her side of things where she's like, you know, I've lived in this house and they have made me always feel like an outsider where I just loved Aristide and they always make me feel like I'm a bad guy and have never let me in. And so he's like, oh, I kind of feel for Brenda. And he goes back to Sophia and she's like, you're just falling for her tricks. And they are all constantly at war with her. And it's not. Yeah, they see every action. They see every action that she takes as vindictive and plotting and underhanded and sneaky. And Charles just sees her as someone who's like not a plotter or a schemer at all who's just genuinely alone and genuinely very afraid so is that an act or is it the truth yeah and as time goes on you get the idea that she may not be completely innocent in regards to her marriage but it's clear with all the other characters in the family that it's just for convenience it's not even that they can reliably say she did it because A, B, and C. For them, if she is the one who did it and gets carted away, their life goes back to normal. And so that's yeah. what Sophia wants. It's like, okay, when that happens, yeah, we can get married. And then it's really interesting that Charles is like, no, that really doesn't sit right with me because that isn't how things seem. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other character that... so. A new element we don't usually get in Christie is that Sophia's sister is Josephine, very little girl who's really into uh, detective novels. She has a brother and a sister. Sophia does. Yes. And, and But Josephine comes up because she keeps interacting with Charles. She's like the little encyclopedia Brown. And she's like, I know things about this family. And here is how uh, we're going to solve the case. And, you know, they get, she's a little bit, she's very precocious. 
she knows a lot of things that people don't realize she knows. She's also a little annoying because, you know, he tries mm-hmm. to like joke around with her and get on her side. And she's kind of like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to solve the crime. Or she's like, I've already solved the crime and I'm not telling you. And it gives, she like, calls a, him Watson and it really annoys him. Yes. And it gives a new element to it. Cause you don't really have children who get to have any sort of, uh narrative agency usually in a christie book not the not one i can really recall i feel like this is the first time that that actually happens where they're not just kind of like around like she actually is important right i think that was a big part of her work as her westmacott's yeah definitely which we talked about how well she did that how well she Mm -hmm. presented a child's viewpoint but yeah, I think that something that happened a lot in in at least the literature of that time, whether it happened in, you know, in actuality, it was always like, oh, well, you can automatically when one of these, you know, when someone gets murdered, it's like, oh, well, you discount all the servants and you discount all the children in like a mystery fiction. It's just one of those things that just gets pushed to either side. You know, the kids, like you said, are marginal. None of the servants really matter. Um, yeah. And I, I think that probably, you know, Christy kind of felt that way sometimes, especially as a child, because she, you know, she was grew up in a big house and um, didn't get to spend a lot of time with her mom in her very young years. So that probably left an impression. Right. So leading into that, I think, I don't think you could ever talk about this book in this capacity and not spoil the ending. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard very important i think to discussing the book but yeah the the solution of this book is that the that it you can't rule out the child it really it is this kid who i know we've just only mentioned but um hopefully you've read this book before at least seen the movie um (laughs) and it's a very it's it's not in the public conscious of like Christie's twist, the way that something like Roger Ackroyd or Orient Express, like is. oh yeah, oh the narrator did it, oh everyone did it, yeah. yeah, that that kind of thing, which is surprising, yeah, that it kind of flies under the radar like that. But I think mystery fans in general like cite this one regularly. But yeah, I don't think the public, and maybe that's because it it doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. Like it hasn't had. It has recently had a movie, but before that, it hadn't really had any attention, not even in TV, mm-hmm. which is odd. Um, but yeah, and it's good that she makes the kid important, because if the kid was just hanging around, like in your previous novels, but she gives, she makes it really fair, because the kid is just as important as every other character in this book, but as she always does, she has such a great job of distracting you by, you are, I think, constantly thinking this little girl is going to get herself killed. Mm-hmm. And we know that Christy, she doesn't mess around and she will kill kids. It's not like the main <laughs> focus. I mean, in her books. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not. I don't think, did, did she ever kill the dog? That's, that's another big one. I don't think so. Not, not that I remember, um, which is good. Uh, uh, and it's not till Halloween party where it's like the focus that that mm-hmm. a kid is the victim. But in Death Comes as the End, several of the victims were very young kids. Yes, that's true. And that might have been the first example. I, I'm drawing a blank. I think it is. But so 
I, um, I feel like that is kind of what I was expecting. Like clearly she knows something and that's where it feels like it's leading. Right. Because she toyed with it a little bit in, oh dear, evil under the sun because the stepchild which I can't remember from the book whether it was a boy or a girl because in the film adaptations there one was a boy and one was a girl. I'm pretty sure it was a girl. Yeah, yeah. In the book, right? Yes. Okay. So that uh, there's one of the like the end of the chapters, you know, where the the because it was her stepmother who had died, who mm-hmm. had been murdered, and like she says something about you know I did it, it was my fault or something like that, but it it wasn't. It wasn't, but she did toy with the idea. Right, definitely. Um, yeah, and that just goes thematically so well. I that that's how I felt this time reading it. How you kind of get the sorry if you're hearing. There's like somebody singing their heart out. It must be the voice of American Idol in a room near me. Somebody's watching. It. I don't know if it can be heard. I can't hear anything. Personally, they're really but... they're really giving it their all. I'm not saying it's good or anything, but. I don't know if anyone's going to turn their chair if it is the voice. Um, it feels like all of the adults are kids. They are still at that place emotionally, mentally. They play games to to uh, distract themselves from the fact that they don't really contribute to this family, whether it's writing their silly books or literally play acting. Mm-hmm. And um it's commented on the fact that they haven't really grown up, but she doesn't hit you over the head with it like she does in some of the other ones that have that right. strong of a theme. And it's just so interesting that she's like, all of these people are kids, kind of except this little kid. And also that little kid is a murderer. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good point about this entire story. Every element of it feels so subtle in a way that's really hard to explain if you don't. Because I feel like this... Any many other authors, including Christie herself, ten years ago, could have written this, and it wouldn't have been quite as sublime as it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, it's something about just the way that she just kind of puts it out there, and you're watching it happen, and she lets you form your own conclusions, which just so happen to be the ones that she wants you to. She controls the narrative without feeling like she is yeah like because you know the the huge contrasting difference between the two brothers like the the bookish one who stays in his i mean that feels so cliche and the and the other brother who's like real emotional and has a temper but it doesn't come off that way you just have to be like you know what just read it and then you'll see that it it's she just like she said in her forward she spent time with it and she just really enjoyed herself yeah and i felt myself Obviously, I keep drawing comparisons to Death Comes as the End with the family structure. And and that is a big difference, too, because we both like our only and main complaint with that book really was that it it's not subtle in the slightest. And it doesn't need to be, but it definitely puts the psychology right there in front of you in the characters' voices. But this book, I, I kept comparing it with And Then There Were None in my mind because it felt like and that goes along with her forward it felt so deliberate every decision she put every word every phrase there was no fat it felt like this yeah. book was just a perfectly uh, perfectly manufactured machine with 
nothing that wasn't firing. And that's the only other book that I can think of like immediately off the top of my head where, you know, she said like that I give myself this challenge and I'm going to take my time with it. And mm-hmm. not that she hasn't written other perfect books, but usually, you know, there's they're this in this direction, in this direction. But this book is just so, what would you take out? Who, what would you alter? Nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's there's really, there's no fluff. There's nothing um, superfluous about it. There's, there's so much dialogue. And even the time that she takes to, like we already talked about, describe each little room is not like it it doesn't take up too much time or bore you yeah it's just like it, like you said it's all it's all necessary but none of it is just utilitarian it's still enjoyable exactly yeah and even the the ending how she pulls off revealing that it is the little kid you can't do that in typical christy fashion where it's just like here is the the summation of the clues and then they yeah. point to the little kid. I feel like that would have felt a little silly. But right. this book, one of the characters who we haven't really even got to talk about, but it's okay, takes the kid off and like, yeah, they, we're gonna go get ice cream. Yeah. They drive off a cliff into a quarry and die. <laughs> and which is, I mean, it's really dark. And you know, your first thought is that it was the other character. And then you find, they find it's so chilling. They find a piece of her journal that she's always writing in. And they just have this one simple sentence to close out the chapter, which is something similar to like, you know, today I killed my grandfather. And it's Mm -hmm. just like so creepy and so so well done and we talked about that with uh with sparkling cyanide recently when she like has the restraint to not go overboard and like just the the fact that she like didn't really have to say a whole lot more than that you don't really need to go that far into how the little girl did it because it's very Mm. simple and it's not like her motive is that complicated. She is not really acting like an adult with this crazy convoluted. She didn't like her grandfather. For... No, she was, it was just very spite. Yeah. And so it's such a simple, it's so neat and clean. Oh, it's like, man, how? <laughs> and, a, how? and another thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is always with authors that are, you know really really talented is the things that they don't tell you like you like the fact that you never meet the grandfather Mm -hmm. and the fact that you don't see what happens that all of that uh, that you just described happens off screen definitely or off page whatever you're supposed to say (laughs) um it's just kind of like wow (laughs) you just it just goes to show that you don't have to spoon feed everyone (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. if some people like to be spoon fed that's fine because there's still a lot of modern authors who still write like that who still mm-hmm. write in sh- in a straight line they tell you everything and that must be okay for some people but th- i think the subtlety is much more enjoyable yeah especially i'll, spit, well. it I'll spit it right up if you try to spoon <laughs> <laughs> Don't even try it. um in recent years, 
we always say Christie was the first to do something. So in recent years, there's been some critics who say, uh, not exactly. Christie wasn't the first person to do the little kid mark. So I'm going to do a little spoilers for another book, but I, it's so obscure. It's Ellery Queen. He wrote this trilogy uh, called the Trat. It's like the alphabet. I can't think of, it's XYZ murders. That's what it's called. I don't know if you've ever read any of those. Because it's not actually, I, feel- I think I, you had you had given me one or I had given you one of the ones, but not this one. Right, yeah. And it sounds familiar. It doesn't, it's not with Ellery Queen, I don't believe. I think it's with one of the other characters. And I, oh, when I read them, I remember not liking X at all, not liking Z at all, but thinking Y was really good. And the tragedy, it's the tragedy of Y, the tragedy of X, um, Tragedy of Why is really good, and it's about this family. Um, it's about a writer that gets killed. And there is none of this groundwork that Christy does here, but it is the the kid that does it. What's brilliant about that book is that the reason that the murders happen is because the kid found the manuscript that somebody was writing and is, like, acting out what's in the manuscript, which mm-hmm. is, like, one of my favorite clues ever, which I'll go ahead and spoil, is that they kill the the person with a violin and no one can figure out why would you ever use a violin to kill somebody? And it's because in the manuscript, I shouldn't laugh, but it's ridiculous. In the manuscript, it says that the person was killed with a blunt instrument. And so they kill them with a violin and it works (laughs) for me. It made me laugh, but it works for me. But like the twist works it is a well-done novel. I did like it, but the, it the, has none of the class that this book has with it. Just she wanted it to be, I believe from the get-go, a kid who who committed the crime, but she uh, constructed the case around that. It wasn't, you know, uh, that wasn't just the twist at the end of this book. And who knows if she even had read that. I don't think that had anything to do with her writing it. Uh, yeah, it probably just came naturally from the family that she yeah. wanted to write. Because she said they that she didn't know where that family came from. They were they just yeah. were in her head and she felt like they she was their scribe, I think she said. Or, or like she was just there to tell their story. Right. And oftentimes, you know... The, the person who does something best is not necessarily the first to do it, but they're the first to do it with like such skill that it becomes popular. And that is mm-hmm. the same thing with murder of Roger Ackroyd. She, she, I doubt she was the first, but just the way that she did it, she always knew how to um, make it just so perfect where it's not yeah. just a, it's not a really good twist on an average book. It's a really good book with a really good twist. Yeah. Yeah, and there's always something to be said for that first time that you get fooled mm-hmm. by something, something that, and that you know that can be. It doesn't have to be because it was the you know the fact that you read Roger Ackward. If that happened to you in a different book that you read, you're still going to remember it. Um, yeah. It would be nice if it was you know one of the classics <laughs> that what? was the first time, but the, something that makes you doubt everything you read from that point yeah. forward. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so nice that you can like you know you can be fooled you can be mad or whatever but you can admire how you were tricked too mm-hmm. 
uh, even if you're like crossing your arms, like well, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. You can still <laughs> admire how it was done. Um, so we talked about the book. This has one, only one that I can find and that I know of uh, movie adaptation, which is 2017. Um, and it is starring Glenn Close is the biggest name. It also has uh, Max Irons, Terrence Stamp, like Julian Sands, Jillian Anderson, Christina Hendricks. And um, it was, I feel like it must have had a very limited release in theaters because I didn't get a chance to see it. It wasn't anywhere near me. I ended up just seeing it when it went on streaming. On yeah, Amazon. I, I didn't know if it even went to theaters. Maybe, maybe it I did. Think like I think a very very limited release. It wasn't that big. It, it's an independent film for sure, and it wasn't. I remember following it for a long time. It was in development, I think, for like ten years, and it kept changing hands. And I feel like they were trying to crack exactly how to do it. So I know that you had seen it for the first time recently. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about the movie version? I don't think it was it was bad. It, it didn't feel like something exceptional or like the definitive interpretation of it or anything but it felt like you know a good solid bbc adaptation um there were some characters that i i thought weren't didn't didn't do the things that worked so well in the book and sometimes you can't do that sometimes a character in a book just does not translate on screen no matter how hard you try it's just it's just not gonna be better um but yeah there were a few things that were kind of because like Jillian Anderson plays the actress which you think oh okay that's great but she just it just came off odd um yeah, not the but best. the little girl was good, which was is a very hard role to play. Uh, Glenn Close, okay. you know, just did an excellent job. She just, but she didn't, she didn't just play it by the book, air quotes. She, she just made it work. It felt like she completely understood the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think from a visual standpoint, they did a really good job. The they captured the idea we talked about with each room. Um, really beautiful house that they film in and costumes are really good Um, a lot of the performances like even if they didn't get a whole lot of screen time they like they looked the part really well Um, I feel like the main star which is Max Irons is a little bit flat Um, and to be fair there's not much of a character there in the book usually Christie's narrators kind of are there to push the plot along and while he does do some interesting things that I think exceed a little bit of like uh I think it's Jeremy from the moving finger is the example I thought of um Mm -hmm. there's not a lot to go on for a movie unless they add a lot and then people would be complaining so he's a little flat but I don't think it ruins the movie one no it it doesn't but you could have you could have told the entire story with him just being a character, but not yeah. that you start that you bookend with him, that it starts it with him and ends with him. It yeah. wasn't really necessary for a visual retelling. No. And one really interesting thing that the movie does and whether or not it works for each person is that it ends. So instead of them finding out later on, picking up the journal and the letter, they they actually like follow the car 
to the it's a car chase a car chase to where and they see the car drive over the cliff it explodes into the air and it ends on that it fades out from that moment them just realizing the the weight of this how do you feel like that was like was that effective was that too much yeah personally just you know just just for me, I liked the subtlety and the distance that Chrissy Christy gave you mm-hmm. by just by telling it off screen and the fact that that it was completely out of their control. No one could do anything about it mm-hmm. until it was all over. And something about that that realization that you had no chance to change what happened, that powerlessness is is really strong. Um yeah, and also, I mean, I can see from a visual standpoint that it was like, oh, it made it more exciting because it was just like, you know, how can you say, oh, yeah, the, you know, the older lady kidnapped the little kid and drove off over a cliff. Like, just, but it was a little, um, a little melodramatic, mm-hmm. I think, is, is how I feel about it. And also, another thing that I liked about the the very, very end, of the book so you've got like you said the the one ending of the chapter where they had read the little girl's journal um and then but then it cuts to the narrators having a conversation with his dad like the police commissioner like a couple months into the future and they're talking about something else entirely and then his dad's like oh yeah by the way whatever happened with that or somebody asks might not have his dad somebody asks whatever happened with that case you know the leonidas case um and they're like, oh yeah, it, it turned out to be a little girl. And his dad's like, oh yeah, poor thing. I always wondered about her. Like, so the, the fact that other people kind of picked up on the the problems, you know, that that the little girl had, that it wasn't like a big shock to him, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really powerful moment too. Yeah, that's a really good scene. So I don't know. It I could see why you you don't you wouldn't feel like you could end a movie the way the book ends, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's melodramatic. Yeah, it lacks that subtlety. And and the first time I watched it, it was watching it. I was glad it was there when I watched it with people who didn't know the ending. And I wish he was here to talk about it, but he has actually talked about it in earlier episodes when we talked about movie versions. But Zach, I watched it the first time with Zach and he didn't know the ending. And he was just like, like shocked, like in shock yeah. at the ending. And the, and it, the ending doesn't give you time to get caught up and be like, wow, it does that and then it's over. And I think that that is a- Yeah, because they're the, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. The, it's effective for pure shock value like mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of uh there's not a lot of real art, artistic flair to it but mm-hmm. for shock value taking something that's really shocking in the book and finding the way to to display it in the most shocking way possible they do really well because it is shocking and it also that does happen in the book it's not displayed it it kind of captures like yeah this is a really dark book when it because if we hadn't seen it we might i think when you would get a letter and say they drove off the cliff and it exploded seeing in that in a movie like you said wouldn't work i think you would it would be more laughable like what but yeah in a movie you kind of but i think it could have used a bookend um 
but I get that they just really wanted to shock you. And it feels like a huge shock, especially because the movie doesn't really have action sequences before that. It's just a Mm -hmm. series of investigations. You don't even get like a murder scene or anything like that. So that all that happens and then it ends with a literal ball of fire. It's a big shock. Uh, But the, the, um, the, I I don't know what you call it because they're switching back and forth between the scene with the the aunt and the little girl driving in the car and you slowly start to realize what's happening but then you keep flipping back to the narrator and and his girlfriend driving in the car and they just keep driving faster and faster and they're finding out the whole backstory in that car drive that part i think is really good Mm -hmm. like she just keeps reading little snippets of the journal and they do little flashbacks and stuff that it is more suspenseful to me than the actual like mm-hmm. the actual you know fireball yeah and i think glenn close is really she's good in the whole thing but she's really good in that scene like it made me actually tear up the first time i saw it where she doesn't want to do it but she has to protect this this girl and the girl is kind of like realizing something's wrong too and glenn close played it really well so whereas i think it's not it's not the most well-crafted ending in the history of cinema um (laughs) there's enough to appreciate where i like i could give that movie like three and a half stars uh Mm -hmm. i uh i watch it on occasion i enjoy showing it to people whenever i talk about christy and i don't think it's a bad representation yeah definitely been worse adaptations of things I, I yeah i feel like it doesn't it doesn't deserve to be called a bad movie or a bad christie adaptation at all it just it just kind of fits in there with all of you know and and, and some you know were genuinely bad and shouldn't exist so you know and i think it does kind of have a bad name so it's nice that we we can both defend it a little yeah um okay time for every literally everyone in the whole world's favorite part where we rate and rank this book not just me everyone on the planet is waiting with bated breath yes (laughs) out of five what would you give this perfect book i say wow with no no i'm not being pushed at all why don't you just go ahead and go first uh probably two and a two and a half stars maybe three if i'm being generous Yes, I give this book five stars. Obviously, I don't think that's much of a secret. I love this. I think this is one of Christie's perfect novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of anything really justifiably to be like, oh, yeah. four and a half. Right. You know, so, so yeah, surprisingly, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, go for five. Awesome. Here we go. Here are the books that we've that we've rated five stars. And I'm going to go off the master list, which includes uh, also the West Macots. It just includes everything. Our top nine are five stars. So we have, and then there were none at number one, duh. Tour Zero, Five Little Pigs, Death on the Nile, Murder of Roger Ackroyd, Absent in the Spring, ABC Murders, Cards on the Table, Murder on the Orient Express. All right. So this book is five stars. So that means our top 10 is going to be five stars, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And we might not be done with the five stars. I don't think we are. So that's just really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what is it better? Honestly, by myself, with just like on my own personal list, I feel like I honestly, with my reaction, would put it at number two. Like it's nowhere near in the well, it is near, but it's not as good as in the number none. It is anything ever. No. Uh, but I think when I think of like Toward Zero, Five Little Pigs, Death on the Nile, even Roger Ackroyd, I'm like, perfect book, love it. Perfect, but like, you know, there are some things you could take out. There are some things you could tweak, but like this book yeah. is perfect. It has such a strong, mature theme, very mature Maybe prose that she's perfect's got. Perfect's not the right word to describe it. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Something can yes. be like five stars and you could say this is a masterpiece, even though it has imperfections. Yeah. Um, like something like, I mean, Death on the Nile is at number four. I have like a load of problems with that book, but it just is so good beyond those problems. Mm -hmm. um, but this book, like I prefer it over Five Little Pigs, which I think is near perfect and Ford Zero, which is near perfect. Um, but not as much as another one. That's me personally. Yeah. How do you feel? I, I, I don't have a preference where it goes, honestly. But like do you so if i feel you, like you would have or have had this conversation whether i'm here or not so yes but i like <laughs> to know how you would how you would feel if like let's start at number two if crooked house and toward zero went one-on-one -on -one in the ring who wins see it's tough because there, there's this weird little novelty factor to Crooked House. There's something about the the rarity of it that makes it more special than anything else. I mean, because Toward Zero is also unique, mm -hmm. but this this one just feels like it's kind of in a class by itself. It's it's hard to compare it even to her other stuff. It is, yeah. I think it's better than cards on the table for sure, but that one was way down the list. Um, yeah, that's number eight. I I personally love ABC Murders better, but it doesn't it doesn't work. That's just an emotional choice. <laughs> so, yeah. and I love ABC Murders, and then you get above that. Absent in the spring, I don't feel like we're gonna put absent in the spring above it as good as it was. Um, Roger Ackroyd. Roger Ackroyd is impeccable, but you know, there's a couple of weird things about it. She wrote it at the beginning of her career. There's just a right. couple. And then Death on the Nile, we've talked plenty about like, why are there two sets of lawyers in this book? Why is yeah, there Yeah, it's better. Uh, it's it's definitely better above that, if nothing, just for the cleanness of it. And then Five Little Pigs. There's very little wrong with Five Little Pigs, too. What I'll say what beat it out for me five little pigs is that while i think five little pigs is great it can at times very minor times get tedious because of its structure where you're mm -hmm. reading the same and i don't like like that as a criticism of it because i think yeah. it is a very breezy read but i can get that and crooked house never falls into that trap mm -hmm. and yeah. then toward zero that was just my personal preference i think because while i love toward zero there is like one or two like you know the stuff with him swimming across the bay and like yeah. some of the stuff that just feels like an extra complication like okay i could have 
you know, done without yeah. some of the, these things. Whereas I think Crooked House has like no complications. Like I said, I wouldn't, uh, I definitely wouldn't fight if it went in, in position number two. <laughs> okay. I just didn't, you know, I always want to get your, <laughs> I don't want it to sound like I'm the only one doing the ranking, even though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though it is <laughs> but it's our ranking that's what it's been the whole time it can start being mine yes yes, yes. <laughs> well uh, i just gave the but now our top three it's really neat to me that our top three are um standalones and then there were none crooked house and towards zero i think that's kind of cool not a detective yeah yeah and then the or first re recurring character and then the rest of the top 10 are Poirot, actually. We don't have any marbles in the top 10, which is bumming me out a little bit. We're gonna maybe we'll have to fix that with one of our next books. But yeah, the rest of the 10 are I think we'll get there. I think we are. We're coming up to one that I think that I have a lot of affection for. Um and I do think we're going to, even though you don't care as much as me, revisit some of these things and see how we feel about them. Cause my thoughts like change. Uh, like the farther we go on, like, well, like at the time I like this and then mm -hmm. the more I think about it, maybe I would switch these two. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good looking list. Now the top it 10 is. will always be five stars no matter what. <laughs> yeah. That's great to hear. So I believe our next book is going to be taken at the flood. That would be the logical order. Which I think the delay actually gave me a chance to buy it. And I'm pretty sure, unless I dreamed this, which is possible, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was able to buy a copy that was the same cover art as the one that I used to have. Oh, neat. Which is? I think. Yeah. You told it's like, you. It's like a, it's like a, some water and like a, a photo or something. Yeah. Mine is packed away right now, but I... Right now I have a really, the ones I don't like, which are the really like generic photograph ones of Taken at the Flood. And just recently I found that there is a Tide, which has a really cool cover, which I'll show off when we do our <laughs> episode. Nice. But yes, Taken at the Flood and There is a Tide, a book that um, I'm really excited to talk about, which does some really cool things. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, so I talked about this with Charlotte a little bit. I have this idea for a game and I'm going to start it off. The game is going to be a little challenge between me and Charlotte, and we are going to be trying to get the other person, or trying to knock at the other person, to guess the Christie book we have in our head. <laughs> It'll be a challenge to see how good is each other's Christie knowledge. So I'm just going to give, just to start off, a sample of what the game will be like. So this was the yeah, example. Because he, he's prepared and I'm not. Well, yeah, because I just came up with this idea today. So this is the example I gave to Charlotte, like, you know, if in my brain I had the mysterious affair at Styles, I said, Charlotte, I have a book. Here's your first hint. It, this book has an alternate ending. Now, Charlotte wants to get it in one hint. Obviously, that would be the best score you can get. So she's thinking, what books have alternate endings? Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> Three-act tragedy, maybe. 
And then, but maybe you'll forget that Mysterious Fred Styles never has an alternate killer, but it does have an alternate ending with the court scene. But in case you didn't think that, I'll say a love triangle mystery. So you'll keep thinking like, oh, is it Evo and the Sun? Well, that doesn't have an alternate ending in the Death of the Nile. You still don't get it. I'll say, well, it kind of has like a spiritual sequel. And then you'll be like, which Christie books have sequels? And the only ones you'll be able to think of are Secret of Chinese Seven Dials and Mysterious Fred Styles Curtain. So therefore, you would hopefully get it in three hints. <laughs> again i s- feel like i don't need to be here at all <laughs> and so then, it's so it's not like 20 questions like i'm not going to ask you questions about right. it i just yeah. asked for hints and i get a maximum of three yes okay and either i get it right or i don't okay and i think it's fair of us when we prepare this for each other like one of them helps you like narrow it down from the canon like okay. this is a love triangle mystery which is one of them and another one will have like a fun fact and you know blah 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 okay so I'll give you an okay. example. The first one I'm going to do, see if you can guess it. And then once we get into the game where we share one each time, we can have like a little little challenge. Like, you know, whoever gets the blah, I'll buy you a Sherlock Holmes book. You can buy me a Christie book. <laughs> like I'll buy you an, another whale for your wall. You can buy Thank me you. a blind. <laughs> okay. For those of you who are just listening, Sean has a whale behind her. I have a blind behind me. Okay. I also have a stuffed box of uh, like lo mein or Chinese takeout. Yeah, I wanted to say that, which would be funnier than whale, but I couldn't decipher what that was. So. It's it's in it's in bad light. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what is my first clue? All right, your first clue. This book features the debut of a character that has yet to appear on American big screens. <laughs> okay all right do you want your second clue debut of a character okay i'm guessing that's ariadne oliver is what i'm guessing um but it could be a lot of christy characters um but i'll go with that just because it was the first thing that came into my head what did she first show up in i don't know See, it's it's great to just she, hear the the logic. She first showed up in. It was something kind of obscure. All right, give me the second one. Okay, this book does not have an alternate title. Hey, that doesn't help me. Not helpful. Way. Okay. Not really. Sorry, you want the third clue? That's fine. Yeah, of course. Okay, this book has an Agatha Christie written forward that is never not included in new editions because of its importance. Okay. I know there were some that she was like, okay, I have to say this to keep you people asking about it. Oh, I'll say you're on the you were on the right track with everything you've said so far. Mm. See, like nothing could be more fun than this for me. Oh, this is such great radio! Yeah, this is such. But great I don't content. know anybody at home, but this is like the most fun I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't feel like I'm doing it justice by sitting, just sitting here and staring off into space. Okay. 
Oh gosh, she put it a forward. It was important. I'm guessing it's one we've already covered. Yeah, I forgot to say that. I was I, I was going to say if you had one, obviously you're less obsessed than me. So I was going to say the handicap I impose on myself is I'll only do books we've already covered. Right. I'm never going to think of it. So to to save all of us uh, time and... Just throw out a title. Money, I, I should say... Uh... No, that's wrong. Um, dun, 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 I can't. I've locked dun, dun, up. Okay, the title is Cards on the Table. Oh, okay. The debut of Ariadne Oliver. It's also okay. the debut of Superintendent Battle, which you could have said. He's not been on the big screen. Yes. Uh, it's also the debut of Colonel Rice, but he was played by David Niven in the uh, 78. Yes. Um, and Cards on the Table does not have another title. It's just Cards on the Table. And it has that foreword where she explains that this is this book is different than all of her other books. There are no clues. It's all psychological. Yes. And we don't have an Ariadne Oliver. Well, he, all of your things were accurate. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just depending. We don't have an Ariadne Oliver until next month on the big screen. So on, <laughs> on American big screens. The only time I think she's been in an actual movie was the Peter Ustinov Dead Man's Folly, but that was like made for TV and horrible. <laughs> well, I'm I'm happy that I knew something, just not the right thing. Yes, you were you you were on the right track. So if you come up with one for me next time, there's no way that it can't be the most entertaining content that's ever been created for people. Maybe I'm just gonna start like, lifting all listing off all the books. Well, just throw a random guess every time and you'll probably get it. There's only okay. 66. We'll, <laughs> we'll keep it to the 66 crime novels. No short stories, no plays, no straight fiction. Okay. That'll be fair. <laughs> I'm only going to do the ones we've already covered. So that's only like, what, 40? So Yeah. I'll keep it to the, the 40 stand books. a great chance. <laughs> this one doesn't count. I will I will think long and hard about what the next thing will be. Just just so it'll give you a sufficient challenge. <laughs> yeah, maybe the next one I'll I'll just do the book we're actually covering. I'm like, <laughs> you gave this book four stars. And you'll be like, I still hmm. wouldn't get it. You know that. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for joining us. This yes. has been a hoot and a half. Please remember to rate us like we always do remember to rate us wherever you listen to uh, a <laughs> podcast and make sure we get a super high rating and more people find us and also drop us a review whether that's on like apple podcast or wherever it is you if you listen on spotify just give us a five-star rating uh right at the top and um check out our instagram we are now posting every day cool christy covers um <laughs> there are some crazy people that like to comment on every single one so try to you know fight the algorithm and also comment if you can and <laughs> before anybody gets blocked and uh check out our merch store which is uh this is, what, this is what happens when you get into the we're big time you know yeah we're too famous you get we're the drama we're gonna be showing up at our door soon <laughs> and always remember to pick your bookmarks responsibly <laughs> have a doodly day